Hello and welcome to the RTE Brainstorm podcast, a home for new ideas and insights on Ireland and the world. It's a unique partnership between RTE and the Irish third level institutions. Now, enjoy the show. Hello. It's not an easy time to be a farmer. In what should be a golden age of food production, with increasing populations that need to be fed, farmers are facing a barrage of pressure. Environmental issues are to the fore, farm incomes are eroding, affordable farm labour is in critically short supply and the rise of veganism is putting a spotlight on animal welfare. Meanwhile, the small Irish family farm model is in decline. In the 1970s, there were 80,000 dairy farmers. Today, that number is closer to 17,000. The trend is clear. Farm numbers are declining and farms are consolidating in size. the solutions? Should we be worried about the demise of the small farmer? If so, why? And what, if anything, can technology offer to help farmers in the future? Well, with me are two researchers who come from very different academic backgrounds, but they have one thing in common. They're going to answer all these problems for us today. Peter Mooney from Maynooth University and Onya Mackin-Walsh from Chagask, you're both very welcome. Peter, you were a computer scientist. Uh, You were brought up in, in rural Meath. And you told me earlier that you always had a fascination with data and said that when you went to visit Dublin as a child, you'd collect the maps of Dublin bus routes. That's correct. Uh, I'll openly admit to that. Uh, (laughs) I always had a fascination with with maps, uh, diagrams and then public transport somehow was the crossover there. So I suppose that began my my fascination with looking at the geographic aspects of of things, even though I didn't know it at that time, uh, understanding which buses went to which places and how long it took them to get there. And if I fast forward, maybe all my leaving cert and into my PhD, that's what I ended up actually doing my PhD in was route route planning and navigation with a focus on public transport. And that just, you know, brought me into a career where I was forever uh, working and, and thinking about geography and geographic data and what does geography and location mean to us? And then what kind of applications has it got in the world around us? You said that in your primary school, that familiar map of the world that was on the wall, you said it offered up so much information. Yeah, I, I, I still to this day fascinated by, by all types of maps and cartography. And I, I think anyone who went to primary school around my era will remember that map of the world on the wall and uh, seeing so much information about the oceans, continents, mountains, rivers, lakes. And uh, it just seemed like with with that one presentation, there was uh, a whole wealth of information. And it was then looking to burrow a little bit deeper. So what if we zoomed into a particular place or one of those far off places somewhere at the corner of the map? How could we get to know a little bit more about those. And from a computer scientist in Meath to uh, Onya, you are a sociologist. You were born and reared in Connemara. But I understand when you were in NUI Galway as an undergrad, it was a course that you took on land resource use in college that sparked something within you. You read an essay 
by a Maynooth anthropologist called Lawrence Taylor. It was called The River Would Run Red with Blood. Can you tell me about that paper and why it inspired you so much? Yes, that paper was particularly inspirational for me. It focused on the pioneering efforts of Father Mac Dyer, and he is well known in, in the history books for his efforts at developing rural Ireland. In Donegal? In Donegal. And he proposed to a community of fishers, fishing families in Teelan, uh, the idea that they might buy out themselves a local fishing resource, which was a, a river owned by Gail Lynn at the time, and that they operated as, as a cooperative for, for a mutual benefit. And Lawrence Taylor, the anthropologist, explored why this idea was so fundamentally unpopular among the Teelaners. And he arrived at a very interesting conclusion, part of which pointed to the issue of role identity and a, a crisis of authority. And to the local people, they, they were already um, implementing a very sophisticated method of fishing very fairly within the community, very sophisticated rotation system. So taking turns. Taking turns, essentially. And uh, they perceived this idea to, to establish a cooperative as involving them becoming the bailiff as well as being each other's neighbour and kin. So that was part of the explanation. You know, the, the overall conclusion was far more complex and interesting. Um, but what it inspired in me was the importance of paying attention to the delicacy of local human ecology, how local people interact with each other for sustainability and how they interact with their environment. And it, although many policies and programmes may be very logical and well-intentioned, they can in fact be disruptive and damaging to, to local tradition um, and that instead we must pay attention to local tradition and work with it, evolve it, innovate it to create really successful policies and programmes. Uh, we need to talk about, a bit about the problems facing farmers at the moment and the big challenges. And I mentioned just a few of them. Mm. Uh, environmental issues obviously being the biggest crisis. Peter, I mean, where do you see the biggest problems are at the moment for Irish farmers? Well, the, the, one of the biggest problems is the fact that uh, there is uh, an exodus from the rural to the urban areas. Uh, there are less younger people on farms taking up the role of taking over from the, the family farm. Uh, then finding employment on farms for, for labouring jobs uh, that are pretty tough and done in tough conditions over, over the year. And then there is, the as you mentioned at the beginning, the environmental pressures there to ensure that farming is done in an environmentally sustainable way. And also then the change in trends in society. So the changes in dietary trends, uh, a movement away from uh, maybe the traditional Irish diet to more vegan or, or, or different styles of diet, which is putting the, the, the small farmer under pressure that their, their normal market and output is, is not the same as it, as it was 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, with your experience in Europe, I mean, it's, it's sort of an obvious thing to say that these are trends that are seen throughout Europe and they're certainly seen in America, aren't they? There's nothing specific to Ireland when you think about both in terms of the demise of the family farm, but also the pressures that farmers are under. Yes. So in order to understand the challenges, I suppose a starting point as a sociologist would be the, uh, the basis that the vast majority of all farms in Ireland are family farms. So they have particular attributes uh, sociologically and economically and otherwise. So these family farms have demonstrated remarkable resilience 
not only in Ireland, but across across much of the world. And what we find underpins their remarkable resilience is that they balance uh, prioritisation in social capital, which is their relationships with each other in communities, in achieving resilience. They also attach a lot of uh, importance to pride. So, for instance, farmland may be perceived and uh, valued by family farmers in a way that far surpasses the economic value of the land. And then thirdly, that the economic capital of the of the farm is contributed to by many members of the farming family. Uh, so when we and of course, then there is the other other layer, which is the ecological uh, biological aspect of the farm, the way in which the farmers themselves and also as communities interact with with the land. So we, we understand the challenges facing family farmers, which is the case in point in the Irish case in particular, as being at different levels. So the social, economic, ecological and also the cultural. And Anya, why does it matter or does it matter that small family farms are under so much pressure? They indeed are under so much pressure as shown by the annual statistics on if we just focus on on the economic returns from agriculture. But it's also the case that there are many benefits to farming uh, delivered well to the farm families who actually operate farms. So they, they do gain benefits under the category of social benefits, under the category of cultural benefits. And we understand these when we when we do field research as sociologists, anthropologists. We understand the nature of those benefits. So one of those would be what we call ontological security. And that really means that people have a sense of belonging, attachment and security in their lives, a sense of regularity that comes not just from their own daily lives, but from their interactions with their family, with their community. And this is transferred intergenerationally. So that is a main driver of the strength of family farming. And while we, we, we do continuously point to the challenges and the threats, and there is absolutely no doubt farm families do experience serious economic challenges, it's also the case that they feel quite privileged and that they enjoy many benefits. Well, part-time farmer Shane Conway is a postdoctoral researcher at NUI Galway and he's been looking at how passing on the land and retirement have become sensitive issues for older farmers. In relation to retirement, when I asked farmers about retirement and their perceptions of it, and a number of farmers um, instantly there was this negative connotation associated with retirement. As I, I spoke to them later, you know, this was correlated with this, uh, as it was referred to before, as the good farmer identity. Um, so that really means that within the farming community, the good farmer identity is those who work very hard, are productive, have a skill set and are admired in the farming community as someone who works hard. And that's, that's a very important identity to have within the farming community. And also it was very interesting, those who did retire um, you know, the, the farmers would tell me they'd always have this story about a fella down the road. So they'd tell me this, they'd proceed to tell me about a story about a farmer who had retired and the disastrous consequences that became upon him, even his reputation, he, he or hers, um, his or her reputation, um, their, their well-being, the fact that they didn't have a, a sense of purpose anymore because their identity and their well-being and their way of life is so tied closely into the farm and the occupation. So um, that, that was one side of it. 
When you think about the the problems, Peter, environmental issues facing farmers, issues about labour, issues, as you say, about you know, the rise in veganism and all the questions that brings. I just wonder, you know, where technology and the kind of work that you do as a computer scientist comes in. Um, you know, you, you wrote this ast astonishing line. You said, you said, we need to imagine a time in the future when cows can text you when they need to come back for a milking in the evening, when smart tractors move around a field to avoid puddles and survey drones and mini robots move up and down a field making soil samples. It's a really astonishing vision of a future farm. Can you just explain a bit more about this high-tech scenario yeah, and, and, and how it works? Yeah, it's an astonishing vision, but it's actually uh, mostly reality at the moment. It just may not all be joined up in, in, in one piece. Uh, the idea of the cows texting you when they want to come to milk is a reality at the moment. There's texting for cows now when cows are ready to calve through systems like the moo call, so that a farmer is not required to keep a 24-7 watch on on animals now there's sensor technology much like what we all have in our in our fitbits on our wrists or in our smartphones is actually applicable to the animals out in the field so just to be clear the cows aren't texting anyone it's the technology obviously no it's <laughs> on the cow that yes. is alerting yeah. the farmer yeah so the, yeah. the the hooves cause a problem there with texting but they have the sensors are actually small enough that they can fit onto the animal's tail in, in the case of the the moo call uh, fit onto the animal's ear via the ear tag and that miniaturization of sensors means that essentially the similar type of sensors that's in our watches and phones are now attachable to the farm animals and with an internet connection or a mobile connection that information then can be relayed back to the farmer's smartphone their tablet so they don't even have to be on the farm to get that message from the from the animal so it's it's quite a funny scenario that the the, the animal can text the sensor itself is, is doing the texting for them. The the drones, drones are a reality at the moment. Uh, there's there's lots of issues around drones in terms of the, the, the legality of, of using drones in terms of uh, surveying areas and privacy. But that is, a, uh, the, the technology that's been developed now is a reality. And what do they do for a farmer? So a farmer can use, use drones to monitor from the air what's not really possible for monitoring from a view from the ground so for example quality of grass uh, the yield potential of a, of a field uh, there's been some studies done by people like Manuth and, and Chagask and others for example looking at uh, crops like uh, orchards from the air to see it's very hard to see the top of an apple tree from the ground, but a drone technology can make a survey of that and then figure out which tree is, is likely to be producing more than its annual crop or less. There is a lot of advanced geographic analysis from, from other areas which can figure out from photographs of, of grass what the quality of that is or what the yield potential of, of cereals are. So it's at the moment, all of them technologies are there and they're operational in one way or the other. There's There's two issues. It's fitting them all together and then seeing them, are they fit for purpose for, in, in, in what is a sense... In, in the Irish situation where farm size is quite small. Farm size is probably on average about 80 acres. So whether very intelligent sensor-based farms set up at the moment is suitable for those type of small farms is a question that we have to really figure out. 
Anya, what do you as a sociologist make of this? I mean, there's been an extraordinary change in the last 10 years in Ireland uh, in terms of how farming is done, what kind of farming is done. And now this push for getting you know, more tech onto farms and the kind of solutions that, that the tech can bring. Are you excited by it? Absolutely. I think technology, just like it in every sector, it heralds new opportunities and forms of progress that wouldn't otherwise be achievable. But even thinking back to the story of Father Mac Dyer in in Teelan and how he proposed this idea of a cooperative, I think rather than proposing through technology something that is very radically uh, different to what farmers are already doing, there is a challenge there for the designers of technology to integrate and to into farmers' existing practices to connect with farmers' values and norms and enhance and evolve those ways of working and routines. So what, what does the research say about how farmers react to new technology? Yes, it, it's often said that, you know, this idea, this mantra that farmers need to open their minds to technology, which, which has a erroneous foundation indicating that farmers' minds are closed to technology. They certainly are not just as with any other sector. There can be a natural dubiousness uh, or scepticism surrounding everything that's new. But that is not to suggest that farmers will not trust or find new forms of technology valuable. It is, uh, the onus really is on the designers maybe to pay attention to farmers and also intermediaries, forms of knowledge such as farm advisors in how they develop the, the technology. And this will enhance the extent to which farmers will perceive new technology as something that's useful, impactful, achievable and cost effective on their farms. This land is your land and this land is my land. Well, 86-year-old Seamus Devan is most likely Ireland's oldest silage contractor. He spoke to Sean McEntee and told him why he still works full time and cuts well over 25 acres of silage every day. Well, you fresh up in the morning, you chilly clocks out here. At half nine in the morning, till half eight in the evening, up ahead. I tell you, when we talk, you can cut 20 acres easily, like. Driving his first tractor in 1947, today's technology is a far cry from that of his youth. Cut the hair with a big one machine, cut it with the side before that. I cut badly with the side on all horses. My father always had the horses driving, working in the world machine and so on. It was interesting work, like, but slow, slow, but nowadays, like, to our quick turnover, like, do the job as quick as we can. Three generations of the Devan family are involved in the business. Oh, it's just nice to have my own, but sometimes they mean goddamn nuisance sometimes, but still. You can't be too wrong, I suppose. <laughs> he loves it. Oh, he loves it. His fierce experience altogether. Any time we have a problem, where do we go? Back to Pops. <laughs> this land was made for you and me. How in the future will we define a farmer? Because everything that you're saying, Peter, in my mind, I'm not thinking of a farmer in wellies in the field. I'm thinking of, you know, a suited and booted person in in a in an office with a whole load of screens in front of them now maybe that's my mind gone wrong but but that the data and the tech side of things is going to pull farmers away from their land towards the technology and that actually in the future the idea of what is a farmer is going to be very different from the way it is now or has been 
Yeah, I, I fully agree that the, the farmer of the future will be different to the farmer now because I suppose if we look back 40 years ago, the farmer then is, is very different to now. However, I, I, I don't think it's time to hang up the Wellington boots and uh, overalls just yet because if we take what these sensors are doing, so it, it's stopping, for example, a farmer that needs to get up at three o'clock in the morning to check sheep or cattle means that that farming family gets a gets a night's sleep. I think the vision of the farmer in a, a nice nice shirt and tie or a blouse in, in whichever Never case Never going to come true anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to come true because uh, there there's there's still too much interaction required by by the human farmer in in the farm itself that it, it would ever become fully automated in in that sense. Onya, when we're talking about this, you know, the, the, the way in which technology might be able to help farmers with the kind of challenges they have, the environmental challenges. I, I, I'm also then thinking of the other side of things like the Burren Life Project in Clare, which has taken a, a very different approach. Can you just explain a bit about that and how that could come to things in the same way and have the same sort of... Uh, results, which is to make sure that farmers stay on the land, to make sure that farmers have a role on the land and, and environmental impacts are reduced. Yes, I mean, you, you asked a question earlier about smart farming. I think that model of farming is, is a very, very clear example of exactly what smart farming is. It's the farmers on that land being so attuned to their land resource, to their animals, and it's something that I've been working with Anne Byrne in NUI Galway for some time is this concept of relational sustainability, paying attention to the relationships that people have with land, uh, their understanding of their land, their understanding of their animals. And that points to, to this really critical feature of traditional family farming and pastoralism in Ireland, which is that it has this fundamentally relational attribute that cannot be at all transferred into robotic form because it, it is it simply is not translatable that that particular aspect of it and going back to earlier what you said that is not to say that the role of robotics and technology and big data will never have a role in such farms or even farms uh, in, in the burn um, I was struck by the words of Michael D Higgins at the biodiversity conference earlier this year and he said something along the lines of that farmers will do what they believe is the right thing. That's the, the strongest motivating force where family farming is concerned. And he, he described about the use of new knowledge, whether it be in relation to biodiversity or new technology or new big data. And he, he described how farmers in the future hopefully will say with confidence that they adopt this technology or use this knowledge or big data, not because it's imposed on them, but because they believe it's the right thing to do. And just finally, you know, we had at the beginning of the 20th century this very romantic ideal of the small farmer in the west of Ireland tending to mainly his uh, small green fields. And I wonder, Onya, in 100 years' time, can you give a prediction of how you think farming will be in Ireland and whether small farms will be able to survive or whether the future is going to be big industrial farms driven by tech? There was an interesting article relatively recently by David McWilliams, and he was citing a very famous paper uh, written by Packy Cummins, formerly of Chagusk. And the title of the ar article was Blessed are the children of the small farmer because they will inherit the earth. But what he pointed to in the article and what he referenced was a trend noticed by Packy Cummins and Damien Hannan back in the 80s 
the children of small farmers became very highly educated as part of their resilience strategy. And it was highlighted at that time the potential for these children to depart from farming and to gain careers elsewhere. Obviously, they were uh, qualified to do so. But it has remained the case that those farmers, those children, have, have remained bound to agriculture relationally in the sense that it still remains valuable to them as a way of life. And they've either combined it with off-farm occupations or returned to it. So I would say tentatively that we're not going to see an eradication of the family farm. However, in recent years, more so than I've been with Chagas for 13 years, and in the past two to three years, I've heard more people talking about uh, farm families exiting farming than ever before. So who knows? Peter, your brief prediction for 100 years' time farming in Ireland? Well, uh, I I think we we will see uh, a lot of decision-making being made through the phone. We will see an an increased amount of robotics, but we will not see the the human touch uh, leaving the farm. I I still foresee, even in 100 years' time, that there will need to be that human input and that human oversight over even the smallest farm, despite how smart it might be. It's such a fascinating area. Well, there's more about smart farming and other things that we've discussed uh, on rte.ie slash brainstorm. But for now, Peter Mooney of Maynooth University and Onya McEnwalsh of Chagas. Thank you both very much. The programme is produced by Kieran O'Byrne and the editor is Jim Carroll. Research is by Louise Denver. Brainstorm is an RTE project in association with University College Cork, NUI Galway, University of Limerick, DCU, TU Dublin, Ulster University, Maynooth University and the Irish Research Council. This programme is available as a podcast from rte.ie slash brainstorm.